You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs. We're going to be in a lot of Proverbs this morning. We'll start in Proverbs 27, verse 10. As you're turning there, if you're new, uh, welcome. My name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here at Citizens Church. If you're watching online, Thanks for joining us. Uh, We have been in a wisdom series for several months. We'll continue uh, in that series this morning. This is actually our last sermon in wisdom before we break for Advent. So next Sunday is the beginning of Advent, which feels crazy that it's already here. Uh, But then we'll pick back up in wisdom in January. Last summer, I did something I'd never done before. I went uh, on a backpacking trip in the mountains of Colorado. We spent four days in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, I love the mountains and I love hiking. It was new for me because I don't love camping. Like I love being outside, uh, but when it's time to sleep, I just wanna be inside. I don't like sleeping on the ground. Look, I I think a mattress is common grace from a generous God. And I don't wanna reject that grace if I don't have to. So I don't usually, thank you. I don't usually camp, but, but but I went actually for the company that was going on this trip, and I was surprised by how much I, I really loved it. I loved all of it, and the things I thought were going to be hard were not as difficult as they actually, as they actually were. And so the first day before we head into the mountains, uh, our guides gathered us up uh, in front of our cabin, and they gave us a bag and then gave us a pile of things. And basically, everything that we needed for the trip, we were going to put in the bag, and that was going to amount to like a 60 to 75-pound pack that you carried with you. And so what they did is they would give us these items and then they would explain what they're for and then we'd put them in the bag. Some of those items, most of those items, they said, hey, you have to have this. This is absolutely necessary. It's like make or break for the trip. Some of them, though, they said, hey, this is optional. If you want to leave this behind, you can can leave it behind. So uh, like a water bottle was absolute necessity. You had to take it. Everyone carried at least one meal for the group that we were with, and you couldn't leave that behind or else the whole group would miss a meal. You had to have a flashlight if you woke up in the middle of the night and it got dark early and all that. But then there were other things that were optional. Like they said a tent is optional. I did not consider the tent to be optional, but they said if you want to just sleep underneath the stars, then, then you could. They gave this little sleeping pad, this thin sleeping pad, and they said that was optional. I obviously took it. But then there's other things. And so at the end of the, the time, there was a pile of things that you had to have, and then there were a pile of things that were optional. So some things were make or break. You had to have them on the trip. And then other things were, you know, take or leave. And I thought back on that moment this week as I was studying the passages that we're going to be in this morning, because Proverbs uh, uses the path as a metaphor. It talks about wisdom as a, as a journey that we're invited to walk. Wisdom is living in God's world God's way. And much of what Proverbs does is tell us, hey, these are the things that you have to have in your life to become wise, to live well. These are the things that are essential to a, a flourishing life. And it, and it lists those things for us. It, it'll talk about things like relationship with God. You have to have that. You can't leave that behind. The fear of the Lord, a humble spirit. It's like this guide that's saying these are make or break kind of things to living wisely. And Uh, This morning, we're considering something that Proverbs is going to say is essential that I think uh, might be surprising to some of us, because the world around us doesn't necessarily treat this as essential. It'd be easy maybe to think this is one of the optional things that you can either bring with you or leave behind, but wisdom is going to say it's 
necessary, an absolute necessity to living a faithful life. And here's, here's what it is. Wise friendships. You can't become wise without wise friends. You cannot live well in this life without wise friendships. If wisdom is a journey, no one travels alone. No one gets there by themselves. We get there with wise friends. So here's my question this morning. Do you have wise friendships? Are you forging wise friendships? Are you investing in wise friendships? Like, do you treat friendships with the same value that God does? We're going to unpack what that looks like. Before that, I just want to lean into the need like Proverbs does. Listen to how Proverbs talks about friendships. Proverbs 27.10 says this, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. So there's two relationships that we're going to see, two kinds of relationships in this short proverb. There's your friend and your family. It says, do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor, the word neighbor is used interchangeably with friend in Proverbs, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So this is written, the people who originally read Proverbs and it was written to or read aloud to, it was an incredibly family-centric culture. Um, family is everything in this culture. Loyalty to family, faithfulness to family is, is a mark with, of somebody who loves and fears God. And yet, here's what happens. The friend relationship is set at the same level as the family relationship. Don't forsake your friend. Don't forsake your father's friend. So the kind of commitment that usually just belongs to family, wisdom says you should have that kind of commitment with wise friends. In fact, you should have that kind of commitment to your father's friends. And then... It says this. It's one step further. Don't go to your brother's house. Don't go to your biological sibling's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. It's saying this. Sometimes a friend is better for you than family. Sometimes in crisis, sometimes in some circumstances, what you need even more than family is you need a wise friend. One commentator, Lindsay Wilson, said this. said, this verse is not given to minimize fraternal responsibility. We've talked about family the last six weeks. It's really important. It's not given to minimize family responsibility, but to lift up the value of the friend. If you were to read Proverbs, just cover to cover, one of the things that you'll see it doing is over and again lifting up the value of the friend. It's saying there are things in life that are take it or leave it, and friendships are not one of those things. You have to have them. Uh, wise friends are essential like family is essential. In, in the wise, if we have any desire, sincere hope at living well and living in God's world, God's way, we will value friendships even if the world around us doesn't. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Four Loves, it's a great little book. You can actually, for free, get the book on Audible, and C.S. Lewis actually reads it to you, so it's amazing. Um, but he has a, a chapter in there on friendship, and he talks about uh, how the friend relationship, uh, like what we've done, I, I've been up here for almost seven minutes now, and almost all of that seven minutes has been for the purpose of trying to convince us how valuable friends are and how needed friends are. What Lewis would say is there is a time in the world where that was just completely unnecessary because people understood inherently the value of friendships, but that's not true now. He says, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life, the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. It's something quite marginal, 
It's not a main course in life's banquet. It's a diversion. It's something that simply fills up the gaps of one's time. I love the image of life being a banquet. And what Lewis is saying is that in our world now, friends, for most of us, are not a main course of life's banquet. It's like a dessert. It's like a side that you occasionally have maybe around the holidays. It just fills up the gaps of times. And so it's like if you stumble into an evening and you're like, I don't have anything to do. I'm a little bit bored. That's when you hang out with your buds, right? That's when you spend time with friends. It's not intentional. It's just filler. And Lewis wrote that in 1960. And this is the year 2022, and if that was true then, how much more true now where we have uh, opportunity to be even more distracted, even more selfish, even more individual. So now we're on our phones all the time. Now we can be working wherever we are. Now we have social media that gives this false sense of being connected, even though the research shows the more time you spend there, the more alone you'll feel. We're busier, we're more distracted. So in the banquet of life, for many, career is a main course, uh, romantic relationships are a main course, family is a main course, me connected to some screen is a main course, but friendships are like this occasional treat, or at, at, at the very least, they don't get the same priority as those other relationships. They don't get the same emphasis as those relationships. And to that, wisdom, Proverbs, is going to lift up the value of a friend, They're going to say, no, this is essential. The wise need this. Wisdom wants a few hundred people right here in Plano, Texas to hear this. You and I, you and I, we will not travel this road well by ourselves. We will not travel wisdom's road without wise friends. And here's why. You know why wisdom makes that demand on you and on me? Because who we are is shaped by who we're around. Who you spend your life with influences you more than what you spend your life doing. Um, Tim Keller, in a sermon on friendship, he says this, in the early stage of your life, you are what your family made you. He doesn't mean that in a deterministic way. He just means like the shaping influence on your life was your family. And we've talked about that. In the early stage of your life, you are what your family made you. In the rest of your life, you are who your friends make you. It's your community that forms you. It's your community that shapes you. And in the early days, it was your family, but now it's your friends. What that means, friends, is every single one of us, we are involved in a shaping community right now. We, we have said yes to relationships, and those relationships we've said yes to are influencing us. And for the first part of your life, you can't control that. You don't decide who your family is, but you do decide who your friends are. The first relationships that you have determining control over are who you choose for friends and who you let in your life. And that all shapes and influences you. It's why parents care about who their kids are friends with, right? Because the friends that we choose, it says something about who we are and who we hope to be and affects who we hope to be. So the Proverbs are going to warn us in light of that about having no friends. Nobody does well alone. It's going to warn us about having the wrong kinds of friends. If you surround yourself with fools, you'll become foolish. You could put the wisdom in Proverbs like this. Show me who's around you, and I'll tell you where you're going. Show me who's around you, and I'll tell you where you're headed. And if who's around you are not wise people, if there aren't wise friendships around you that you're investing in, then you're not on wisdom's journey. You're on some other kind of journey. So to go back to Lewis's metaphor, friendships need to be a main course 
in the banquet of your life because your life is uh, as healthy as your diet. And that includes your relational diet. So maybe you're thinking this. Hopefully we're asking ourselves if we came this morning in hopes of being, of being changed, of leaving a little different than the way that we came in. So that's my assumption. And so in light of that, hopefully we're asking ourselves, we're thinking about our circle of people and thinking about our relationships and considering, do I have wise friends? Am I investing in wise friendships? And if you're asking that, you might be asking another question. You might be thinking, okay, well, how do I know? I have friends. I spend time with people. I'm here with people right now. How do I know if those friendships are, are wise? And if you're asking that, that's a really great question, and I really appreciate it because I, I needed a segue into the answer. Proverbs wants to answer that question, and it's going to answer it with several verses. I'm going to put those verses under three main points. Wise friends, how you know if you have wise friends and you're in wise friendships. Wise friends love at all times. Wise friends don't use one another. And wise friends both correct and encourage. Wise friends love at all times. Wise friends don't use one another. And wise friends both correct and encourage. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Molly read that for us. Proverbs 18, 24 a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wise friends love at all times. You know this about your life. There are some relationships in your life now or in your life in the past, and those relationships were close because of the circumstances. You work with someone, and so you spend a lot of time around them. Uh, you have a, a hobby that really interests you, and maybe that hobby brings you together with somebody, and so you spend a lot of time around them. But uh, if the job changes, uh, if the hobby loses its excitement, then, then the relationship isn't the same. So for all of us, there are some relationships that are close because of the circumstances. Friends are close in all circumstances, regardless of circumstances. Uh, a friend is there in a season of joy and in a season of grief in a season of difficulty, in a season of, of ease. In fact, in Proverbs, the depth of friendship, you don't really know if your friend is a friend until something in your life goes terribly wrong. Like the depth of friendship is revealed, especially in seasons of, of suffering. Something happens to you that's difficult or something's going on with you that's difficult. So a man of many companions, what do we know about that man's life? He's got, a, he's got like an entourage of people. He's got a lot of friends. He seems to be really popular and really liked and really loved. But you don't really know what's true about the quality of those friendships until the quality of his life diminishes. Because a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what matters is not how many companions do you have when life is going well. What really matters is when life's not going well, do you have a friend? Do you have a wise friend? And you'll know because they're still there, because a friend loves at all times. So a friend says this, hey, this is the best season of your life. Praise God. You got a promotion. Your life is full of goodness. I am here for that. Let's celebrate. Let's go to dinner. You can buy because it's going great for you, right? That's a friend. But a friend says at the same time or in a different season, oh, this is loss for you. And you're in a season of loss that's compounded by more loss, which is the worst kind when you're already hurting and then something else starts hurting and you just don't have more capacity to grieve or to be in pain. And you can't see any good and you can't see any beauty and you can't see anything worthy of gratitude. And the friend says, I'm here. 
Let's sit. Let's grieve. Let's talk Jesus. Let me help divide the pain. It's too much for you to carry alone. Life is not good, but even in life not being good, I'm going to be good to you, and I'm going to be good for you. And there's loyalty and constancy to wise friends. The friend is there. Hear this. The friend is there in all seasons because seasons are not what sustains the friendship. Love is. And friends love at all times. The wise love their friends at all times. And it doesn't mean that the friendships are easy at all times or perfect at all times. It doesn't mean there's no conflict. It doesn't mean there's no misunderstanding. It just means this. The friendship is strong enough to endure all that, even that. Because a friend loving at all times includes loving during the times when it's hard to be a friend. That's what kind of friendships wise people forge together. Proverbs 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends. Anyone who's ever had a boat knows that to be true. But a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 19.6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. It's using the word friend tongue-in-cheek here. These are not actual friends. He's talking about the kind of friend that, that, that you don't need to be and that you don't need in your life. When I was in middle school, we had a class competition you had to write a speech and deliver that speech to the class, and whoever won the speech writing competition got free pizza for them and four people in the class. They could choose whoever they wanted. And I uh, really love pizza. I did then. I love it even more now. Uh, and so I tried really hard, and I won. I won the competition. And after I won, I had got to decide who got to join me for the pizza party, and all of a sudden, I had so many friends. It was amazing. These people just came up to me, and this one kid was like, hey, man, we're really close, right? And I'm like, no, man, you made fun of my hair yesterday. We're not, that's not what friends do. And this other kid came up to me, and he was like, hey, jamming. It's like, it's, um, it's jamming. It's, it's like Benjamin without the Ben. It's happened my whole life. And so he says, yeah, right, Jamin, you're my best friend. I'm like, come on, man. I, I just think part of being friends is actually knowing how to say each other's names, right? And so that kept happening. People just kept on coming up. And to be honest, I, I, I actually loved the attention. It was one of the bright spots of, of middle school. There aren't many. Um, but what was that about? Pizza. They didn't want friendship. They wanted pizza. Wealth brings many new friends. They don't, there's a the kind of friend that doesn't want friendship. They want money. Everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. They don't want the man. They want his gifts. And, and they want to use the relationship for something that, that they get out of you. And, and what I didn't know in middle school that I do know now is that's not a junior high problem. That's a human problem. There's a version of that that just keeps happening into adulthood, and it just takes on different forms, right? Like um, part of how sin has distorted the human heart is that we relate to one another primarily based on what we get from one another. And it's less relationship and it's more transaction. And, and where you have a relationship that is more about what you get than anything else, that's not a friendship, according to Proverbs. Richard Baxter, he's an old Puritan writer. He says this. He wrote a book called Converse with God in Solitude. It's one of my all-time favorite books. It's really short. You can read it in one or two sittings. Uh, and he's talking about how to uh, make it in life uh, when all your friends have deserted you and all you have is Jesus. But he says this in, in that book. Contract no special friendship with a selfish man. Put no confidence in him, whatever friendship he may profess. He is so confined to himself that he has no true love to spare for others. 
If he seemed to love you as a friend, it's not actually as a friend, but as a servant or at best as a benefactor. He loves you for himself as he loves his money, his horse, or his health. Because you may be serviceable to him. When you have, this is scathing, when you have no more capacity to serve him, he has no more love for you. When you have no more capacity to serve, the love runs out. Have you ever been on the wrong side of that kind of friendship? Someone got something from you, and then they stopped getting from you what they got from you, and whenever that stopped, they stopped being your friend? Have you ever been on the selfish side of that in a relationship? Wise friendships don't do that. They don't use one another like that. It's not I'm using you for your money or I'm using you for your status or I'm not using you because successful people know how to network and that's what friends do. Friends don't do that. Friends don't use each other. Um, This is why. Um, What I'm about to say is really important. I don't mean to offend. I really hope it's helpful. I've been convicted by this in my life. But this is why relationships that form primarily around emotional needs never go well. They never last. Like two people are lonely and they form a friendship to combat their loneliness, that's just another way to use one another. That's a different form of going to the rich man because you're feeling poor. Because the moment a friend fails to overcome my loneliness, or the moment the friend fails to overcome my insecurities, there's conflict, or I leave, or I bail, because they have no more capacity to serve my emotional need. And that's not a friend. And so friendships that are always questioning the security of the friendship, they never go anywhere. They're they're not true friendships. They're not wise friendships. So the friendships that are always asking, are we still friends? Are we still close? You haven't texted in a while. You forgot about the thing that I expected you to remember. You're hanging out with all these other people a lot. In some ways, underneath that is this. Are you still serving me? Are you still managing my emotional needs? Like when friendships exist simply to combat something needy in me, I will be perpetually insecure. I will be easily offended. And ultimately, what I won't be is a good friend. I won't be a wise friend. Listen, if I can look at my life and see the same relational pattern repeating itself, I have to pay attention. And that relational pattern is if I have a friend and I expect a lot out of that friend, and then I'm disappointed in that friend, and then I'm offended by that friend, and then I'm no longer friends with that friend, and now I'm bitter with and talk bad about that former friend, where that has repeated in my life, here's what I need to know. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the one who's failed to be a friend. I've been the the friend who just wanted the pizza, who lost the capacity to love when they have no more capacity to serve. Wise friends don't use one another for material things, for uh, emotional needs. And the reason wise friends don't use one another is because wise friendships are actually built on something that's bigger than the friendship. Wise friends are friends because there's something outside of the friendship that has united them together. This is the piece that was most clarifying for me. Uh, Lewis offers wisdom on this. Probably the most well-known line from Lewis's Four Loves is that moment where he talks about, uh, you know a friendship is born when somebody looks at someone else and says, you too, I thought I was the only one. So he says, lovers uh, are face-to-face absorbed in each other, but friends are side-by-side absorbed in a common love. It's what he calls a, a, a shared truth that they both see and commit their lives to. And so he says this, this is why those people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. 
where the truthful answer to the question of do you see the same truth, the, the uh, you too, I thought I was the only one moment, the truthful answer would be I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. Where that happens, no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about and friendship must be about something. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Friendship must be about something. The, the love that friends share together grows out of a shared love that is bigger than, that is beyond their friendship. So for some people, this is a common interest. There's a form of this where meaningful friendships can, can be forged around music or sport or food or something like that. But for this room, we have to see this. We as believers, if this is true, which it is, we have access to the highest form of friendship there is. If friendship is forged around a shared love, we as believers have access to the kind of friendship that's forged in shared love for Jesus. And what's better than that? What, what uh, object of our affection is more glorious, more beautiful than, than Jesus? I, I talked with, with one of our church members this week. He's in a season of, uh, it's just a sad season for him and his family, loss and grief and he and his wife are godly and gracious. I love them. And he shares my love for craft coffee. And so we were drinking coffee and talking about grief and loss. And I said, hey, you know, who's, who's been with you in this season? Who's walking with you? And he smiled real big, and he started talking about his friends. He said, I have three friends. I said, tell me about them. And he said, they've been my friends for years. And he said, we decided a long time ago that we will run after Jesus together for the rest of our lives. And that phrase, run after Jesus together, is such a concise picture of what really makes up wise friendships. It's side by side, eyes on Jesus, with one another, following him. So when I ask, do we have wise friendships, to state that as explicit as I can, what I'm asking is, do we have friends who we are following Jesus with? Can you be friends with people who are not believers? Yes, and you should. And those friendships can be deep and meaningful. But as a Christian, where we are going is towards Jesus. So the friends that we're closest to, the ones that we most cling to, are the ones who are the fellow travelers on that journey. We need them. We have to have them. And more than likely, your closest friends will share more in common with you than love for Jesus. If I think about my closest friends, we're shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder love for lots of things. We love the same sports teams mostly, and we love this church, and we love each other's families, and we love good food. But if all of those are strands in a cord that ties us together, the strongest strand is Jesus. The most important strand is Jesus. Wise friends, to tie it all together, they don't use each other, they love each other. And we've talked about this kind of love around here a lot. Loving someone as a Christian is, I am with you and I'm for you, even and especially when it's hard, because I want my life to make your life look like Jesus. Wise friends love at all times. Wise friends don't use each other, they follow Jesus together. And last one, wise friends both correct and encourage. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better it's, this is so poetic. All of it is just so filled with really beautiful imagery. I love the Bible. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, empty, meaningless are the kisses of an enemy. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. You know what that means? The idea is this. If I see someone who I love and they're in need, 
They're living foolishly. They're sinning. There's a pattern in their life that I see that I don't know that they can see. And if I see that, and if I don't say something, I'm hiding my love for them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's better to be confronted by a friend than flattered by an enemy. In Proverbs, one of the most, I think this is so countercultural because our, our culture tends to be so conflict averse in our relationships. And, and our relationships can be marked by like a nicety which falls short of, of helpful honesty. One of the most repeated features of wise friendships in Proverbs is that they can have and handle hard conversations and the relationship doesn't break. It's actually strengthened because of that. Fools can't handle those kinds of friendships. Fools can't handle those kinds of conversations. Uh, Proverbs 9, 8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So someone who says something like, I just don't really like being corrected. Well, no one likes being corrected, right? But scoffers hate being corrected, and the wise ultimately love those who, in honesty and sincerity and with good intentions, correct. Because scoffers are on a journey towards folly and death, and they don't want fellow travelers with them on that journey that are trying to lead them to wisdom. And so fools, they only have people who affirm them. They never challenge them. And fools surround themselves with people who only tell them what, to, what they want to hear. The wise don't do that. The wise not only expect but the wise seek out relationships where there's going to be correction and honesty. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. What it means is this. Uh, given time, if you're thinking about the words to you that have meant the most, that have been the most helpful, and, and you're thinking about it over a period of time, it's those words of righteous rebuke that actually help shape you and become who God's meant you to be. Flattery is just like a, a wisp that's there and then it's gone. It means very little. You probably didn't even believe it when they said it to begin with. But something that is, that is pointed and targeted from a friend, it actually brings about favor. So let me ask this. When is the last time you had a conversation with a friend where they helped you see a blind spot? When was the last time you had a conversation with a friend and they confronted you on sin in your life or, or, or just offered loving correction? Maybe it's a pattern or, or maybe it's somebody who just lovingly said, hey, here's something that I've seen you neglecting that I know you know that you need. I think um, there's something about those conversations that when they happen, they're surprising, which runs against our theology. It should not be surprising to us that we need those kinds of conversations based on what we believe. We believe our hearts are so filled with sin that it required the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. We believe that our hearts are so filled with sin that Jesus had to be broken that we might be put back together. We believe they're so filled with sin and folly that he had to die that we might live. And while he has forgiven us, and while he is changing us, who in the room is perfect? Who in the room has a heart that's free of lust or fear or selfishness or idolatry? The answer is no one. No one can raise their hand with sincerity. And if wisdom journey wants to deal with folly in us and wants to deal with sin in us, and if no one travels alone, then what we should expect about those traveling companions, what we should expect about those friends, is that part of that relationship includes difficult conversations, conversations where there's correction. And, and, and if you have someone who's a friend and we're always avoiding conflict, what it means is we're hiding our love. Here's what the wise do in light of all that. 
wise people have this kind of conversation with their friends. Hey, you have permission to be honest with me. Have you ever said that to anybody? You're my friend. You have permission to be. Now, I think it's important that the friend initiates that. Sometimes people go to someone and are honest, and that honesty is not welcomed or invited. It's best when it's in the context of a friendship, right? Hey, here's what pride looks like in my life. I know you've seen it. Here's what lust and fear look like. Here are the selfish thoughts of my heart. And I'm coming to you, friend. Please help me. Be honest with me. I'm inviting honesty, and my promise to you is relational honesty won't come with relational consequence. I'm not going to freeze you out. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to ignore your text. I am asking for you to tell me the kinds of things that I can't see. I'm giving you permission to wound me in wisdom because you love me. Don't hide your love from me. Have you done that? Have you given a friend permission to be that in your life? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We all need that. If you've not given someone permission to do that, it might be that you're surrounded by people who love you but are too scared to have hard conversations because they're not sure how you're going to respond to that. You know how you can cut through that fear? Hey, I need your honesty. Initiate that. Proverbs 27.9, there's another side to that. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That word earnest is the Hebrew word for life. It's one of the Hebrew words for life. Some translations say the sweetness of a friend comes from her heartfelt counsel. The idea is that one of the sweet things about having friends, one of the beautiful things about having friends is that they speak life-giving words to you. They speak encouraging words to you. The sweetness of a friend comes from her or his life-giving words. So friends encourage one another. Friends, build one another up. It's not flattery. It's not empty compliments. You know, I've seen the parts of you. We're having the hard conversations. And in and, 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 and all of that, what I can still do, knowing you, being close to you, seeing in some ways the worst of you, I can still celebrate the goodness of God in your life. And, and I can open my mouth as your friend, and I can name with specificity the ways I've seen you grow and endure, and I can name the gifts that God has given you and the story that God has given you, and I can be a life-giving friend to you. And wise friendships are marked by both of those kinds of conversations. So if someone is flattering but never honest, that's not a friend. It's not a wise friend. But if someone is always quick to correct and slow to encourage, that's not a friend either. Wise friends speak life-giving words. Proverbs 25, 11 is a beautiful proverb. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. What's an apple of gold in a setting of silver? What does that mean? I have no idea, but it sounds amazing, right? <laughs> it sounds wonderful and beautiful, and that's how friends speak to each other. They speak to each other in ways that are amazing and beautiful and maybe sometimes confusing, but we need that from friends. So here's what's true. Oh, man, please lean in. What's true for some of us, it's true for me, it's easier to receive words of correction than words of encouragement. Some of us are so riddled with guilt and shame. Some of us, the, the inner script that we're reciting and the inner dialogue that we're having about us is so full of the things that we know are wrong with us are so full of the things that we think are wrong with us. So we're always correcting ourselves. And so when someone else speaks a word of correction, we might be defensive, but even that defensiveness is because part of us, deep in us, agrees with the correction. And what might be true for you 
is that when sweet counsel comes, like an apple of gold, when the encouragement comes, we dismiss it. We cut ourselves off from it because we disagree with it. We can't, there's a way in which we can't humble ourselves under the encouragement because we've given so much power to our condemning thoughts that they are louder to us than anything else. Have you ever been encouraged by someone and you smiled? And with your face you said thank you, but in your heart you said if you only knew. Or in your heart you judged why they were saying that. They're just saying that because they want me to like them. They're just trying to flatter me. And, and, and what happens is, is the self-condemning thoughts reject the encouragement that God says our hearts need and we need to be open to. So here's what the wise do. I just think this is so important. Just like the wise invite friends to correct, the wise also invite friends to encourage, to speak life. Hey, um, friend, there's this thing that God says is true about me in Christ. Forgiven, redeemed, I'm not my worst moment. I'm not the, the, the way I work or how efficient I am or how productive I am. And God says all that about me, and I'm having the hardest time believing that. I need you to help me. I need your life-giving counsel. I need your encouragement. I need you to tell me that I'm going to be okay. I need you to tell me who I am in Christ. I need you to tell me that God's given me gifts and a story to use for him because they come from him. I need you to tell me that my life matters and what I do matters. And I need the sweet counsel that says, I know, friend, that your condemning thoughts are saying about you. I know what your condemning thoughts are saying about you. And I know what the cross says about you. And Jesus speaks the better word. And I want to sound like him too you. Do you have those friends? Here's what's important. You have to let friends be that. There's a way to live foolishly for lack of wise correction. There's a way to live foolishly for lack of gospel encouragement. And the wise don't cut themselves off from either. Some of the, if I can be candid, some of the darker seasons of my life were not marked by ignoring correction but they were marked by not letting encouragement make it past my ears to my heart. It's a failure to believe the gospel truth, even though people around me were speaking that to me. Wise friends encourage, wise friends correct, and in wise friendships, they are cultivated by an openness, a humility, a vulnerability that makes space for both of those kinds of words. Wise friends love at all times. Wise friends don't use, they follow Jesus together. He's the shared obsession. And wise friends correct and encourage. I want to bring this to a close. Obviously, I want you to consider who you're traveling with. Who's around you? Who's shaping you? Are you forging wise friendships? But I want us to consider that. I just want to name a few wise responses in, in light of all this. And I'll, I'll be really brief. One wise response would be this. If you have a friend like that, tell them. If you've got a friend that's like a love you at all times friend, tell them. If there was a particular moment where the friend was especially a friend, not like a, a man of many companions friend, but a sticks closer than a brother friend, would you tell them that? They need to hear it. If you've got a friend that has spoken honestly to you and, and said something to you that, that was hard to hear, and you think they might be wondering, are they mad at me? Thank them for the willingness to be honest. Thank them that they loved you enough to be honest with you. If you've got a friend like that, thank them. The second thing I think would be wise, a wise response, is for all of us collectively to be more intentional with the people who are already in our life. Um, maybe, you know, there are people in your life that have the potential to be this, but without intentionality, it's not going to happen. You have to make space for this. I, I don't have a Bible verse for this, but I just think that if we're trying to do friendships like this, we won't have many of them. 
We're limited. Uh, Jesus says to love everyone. I think it, it's, it's, I don't think, I know that God wants us to love everyone and be friendly to all. But if we're trying to be at all times, encourage, honest, don't use, follow Jesus together kinds of friends, we're limited. I, I think we can only be that with a handful of people. And all the introverts are like, thank God somebody said it, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Wisdom might mean that the social circle has to shrink for some of us. Wisdom might mean that we spend less time investing into an online persona that gets a lot of followers and more time being a vulnerable person that has a couple true friends. It's better to be faithful with a few than unintentional with many. Um, I also thought, this is very targeted and specific, but I thought about my younger brothers and sisters a lot this week. If you're like in junior high or high school, there's something that's really special about that season of life. There's a lot of margin for friendships and relationships in that season of life. It's also a season of life where you're learning how to be a friend. You're choosing friends for the first time. And I came across a statistic the other day that was really sad. It said that only 1% of people who are friends in seventh grade are still friends in 12th grade. Some of that's move. Some of that's school change. But some of that's that climate of junior high and high school is just this revolving door of relationships, and the relationships that get a lot of attention are who has a crush on who, or who's dating who, or who broke up with who, and I'm, I'm not going to offer rules on boyfriends and girlfriends. That's between you and your parents, but I will offer this friendship. Take your relationship seriously. Take your friendship seriously. If you do one thing in junior high or in high school and you do it well, be a good friend. Be a wise friend. Find the people closest to you who are closest to Jesus and run really hard after them. Look, care less about who does or doesn't like you as a date and care more about who God can change through you as a friend. You won't regret that. Here's another wise response. It's really easy to listen to a sermon like this, um, to hear all the points, and then evaluate the people around you as to whether or not they meet the standard. And so the question we could be asking is, is anyone a wise friend to me? That's not where the wise start. The wise start by asking, am, am I this kind of friend to those around me? Am I being a wise friend to those that God has placed around me? Sometimes in life, my friends, uh, to have the relationship we need, we have to start by being the thing we wish we had. Be a wise friend. Love at all times. Don't use people. The wisest reaction and if you've been here for any length of time, you know this is coming. But the wisest reaction is to move towards Jesus. Jesus is the closest of all friends. Here's what's true. You can have all the friends in the world, but without him it doesn't matter. Also, you can have a world full of disappointing relationships and with him still have everything you need. With him still be okay. Richard Baxter has this wonderful little line in his book about Jesus, and, and it was a time in his life when all he had was Jesus he who is with the king is not alone, even if forsaken by all others. He on whom the sun shines is not without light, though all of his candles are put out. Jesus is the sun. Everyone else is a candle. And if the candles in your life are smoldering or they've been put out, the light of Jesus still shines. You're not alone. He's a friend to you. You're not in the dark. He's a friend who loves at all times. He's a friend who doesn't use. He lays down his life. He corrects. He encourages. He himself says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you, that he might take you as you are, and that you might move from sinner to close friend with Jesus, the most wise thing we can do 
is move towards the best friend we ever have, and that's our Savior and King Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for friendships. You made them, God. They're your idea in your world. And we thank you for the wisdom of your word that in a, in a, a world that is just ebbing towards self, selfishness, using people, easily offended, no relational depth or grit. In that kind of world, your word speaks and says, don't forsake your friend. Lifts up the value of a friend. So I, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit for you to do two things, and there are two things that only you can do. I've, I've reached the limits of, of my role, and I'm asking you, God, because you're kind to do the kinds of things that only you can do. Would you help us as Citizens Church, help your church in Plano, Texas at this moment, help us be wise friends, help us forge wise friendships. If that's something that we have in abundance, may we be grateful. If that's something that we lack, may we be hopeful and lean on you, Jesus. And then secondly, Holy Spirit, would you overcome thoughts of guilt, shame, pride, and that we might receive as encouragement the gospel, good news, truth, that Jesus is a close friend to us, a friend that loves at all times, a friend that speaks life and corrects, a friend that is always with that never leaves. We thank you. We love you. And, and Jesus, we thank you that you are so grand and glorious and beautiful that all your relational titles can hold together. Savior, God, King, Lord and friend, good friend, best friend, we love you, amen.